yeah, works. Uh, thank you, Len and Lena. Um, and thank you, uh, Matt, for inviting me to conceptualize the crisis of this panel. And initially, when uh, I received an email about conceptualization of the crisis, I became very scared. It's a daunting task um, as the crisis is still unfolding. But then I became very thankful um, for the opportunity to frame my thoughts on uh, the problem of financial innovation and liquidity in the current juncture. So I've uh, titled the paper as um, The Global Credit Crunch as the Crisis of Artificial Liquidity. Um, it's not a very unusual um, concept. In fact, liquidity is a very classic financial category. Um, it's been used historically for many centuries as part and parcel of any financial instability discourse or financial policy. Um, but in most existing theories, be that mainstream or more critical post-Keynesian, liquidity is kind of one of the many elements that contributes to financial fragility. Uh, whereas the actual cause of the crisis is something else, be that market failures, asymmetry, or structural conditions. Um, whereas looking at, at the series of past events and uh, the past decade, I thought that actually liquidity uh, has become the cause and the trigger of uh, most financial crises uh, more recently. Um, as I said, in the literature, the concept of artificial liquidity, or sometimes it's called liquidity illusion, is being used quite often. Uh, but usually, either explicitly or implicitly, it's implied to describe a bubble, a very cyclical and normal development in financial markets. Um, but my analysis or my thoughts suggest that actually um, in the time of very private financial innovation, be that conjunctural or more process-like, um, liquidity by means of first creating and sustaining the illusion of liquidity during the boom, during the good economic time, uh, first creates and sustains the bubble and misleads lots of people who are trying to make sense of uh, the world affairs and then it translates into a systemic crunch of insolvency um, via liquidity problems. Confusions about liquidity are many um, and one of the key ones is that usually liquidity crisis or crunch or liquidity run is um, manifested through disappearance of the market, of the buyers and sellers for a particular product which is why more, more recently, during the past decade, the fluidity of the market or the terms of trade or the easiness of how quickly you can trade your assets um, has become synonymous with liquidity of the system of the market as such. And by common fallacy, uh, for example, um, now uh, regulators are desperately trying to restore that confidence, that liquidity, that fluidity into the markets. The paradox is that whilst they're pumping trillions of dollars into the markets, uh, banks and financial institutions are still hoarding that liquidity, not willing to resume this fluidity of trades or shiftability of their assets. The problem is that in terms of functional uh, financial category, the meanings and functions of liquidity vary, uh, both in terms of what it does in which context, or what it is in and in what context, but also in terms of temporal time frame, for example, during economic boom or good economic healthy times, and during stressful times, like in the run-up to the crisis or during the crisis stage. But most, um, I think one of the central messages of critical literature of financial innovation and its behavior in a systemic context is velocity and fluidity of markets is not synonymous with liquidity of the system generally as an aggregate category. Certainly not synonymous with uh, liquidity of the 
macro or international macroeconomy. The literature uh, trying to resolve the money paradoxes of liquidity reflects um, the puzzles of it. Um, for example, um, most IPE writings, uh, the discipline that most of us work in, um, have kind of assumed that since the post Bretton Woods financial innovation, once financial risk was privatized, um, financial innovation has greatly added to global capital market liquidity. Uh, now, because there are derivatives markets, because there are new institutions, because there are new ways to hide or manage or value risk. So overall, there is an appearance of very buoyant um, liquid global market. Um, interestingly, um, in terms of how scholarly literature was trying to reflect on it, in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, people have been writing about liquidity expansion on the global stage, in particular Charles Kindleberger and uh, Ben Cohen. And they were relating it to mostly two processes, the expansion of um, dollars outside the American system into the then uh, mushrooming euro market, um, and uh, financial innovation linked to derivatives, technological change, globalization of markets, and opening of new borders. And since then, um, the, the they formed a consensus that actually globalization of finance means increased global liquidity at the uh, international level. And partly that belief or illusion um, or delusion um, was sustained or manifested during the latest credit boom um, in the last five years. The origins of liquidity illusions are, are many. Uh, partly because of its paradoxical behavior in time, but partly because it actually means several things at the same time. It's a quality of a product, a portfolio, or a market. It's basically what it is, how, how liquid or how safe it can be or profitable. It is a quantity of credit or money or um, capital available to economic context, be that market, national economy, or even an in, in institution. It is also the ease of fluidity of these trans transactions in the markets, which is why markets are valued. Liquidity of the market is mostly valued by bid-ask spreads. So the smoother the curve, the more liquid the market is assumed to be. But also, uh, liquidity is the probability. There is an element of uncertainty there. Liquidity is the probability of transactions being completed smoothly without affecting the general price level, without shocking the price trend down or up. So because it's at least four things, uh, it's very difficult to model uh, number or frame it in any sort of mechanistic or mathematical way, which is probably why efficient market theory, which has dominated finance until recently, didn't really bother to address the issues of systemic liquidity or, or its behavior in a um, comprehensive context. Uh, Part of the problem also was that financial innovation has indeed eroded the meanings of uh, money or credit or money and near money uh, in terms of financial assets. And in fact, it, it has become very unfashionable and conservative uh, in terms of critical economic literature to be thinking of liquidity as something of a quality, not just a quantity or ease of doing things, but also of a quality. Um, so since about late 80s, uh, liquidity as a concern for students of finance but, and also for regulators has become the instrument or the property of private markets. It was removed from the realm of public policy. Uh, central bankers, for example, of course, the, its liquidity is almost there um, 
item on top agenda on every day. But actually, in terms of regulating liquidity, uh, there's been very little uh, in terms of national discussion at, in uh, key central banks or key monetary authorities, and there is even less in terms of international coordination on governance of liquidity. And I can talk more about it in, the, in questions. Uh, but we have something to uh, refer to from earlier literature. Um, great people used or tried to analyze the paradoxes and the puzzles of uh, liquidity and its behavior, starting from Keynes and even earlier. Um, Keynes wrote about the fetish of liquidity or the paradox of liquidity. And basically, um, he's, he noted that usually an investor um, develops a very false sense of optimism about uh, resilience of his, he didn't use her portfolio, uh, whilst assuming that as long as he's, his portfolio is very liquid and safe, then the system as a whole will be safe as well and, and will be very liquid. But in fact, he observed there is no such thing as liquidity for society or for the system as a whole. Liquidity is, there is always a trade-off between individual and systemic liquidity. Uh, and this transformation from individual to systemic liquidity is um, kind of the, the, the puzzle for many theorists today. Peter Warburton more recently um, wrote a book called The Dead Delusion, in which he actually pointed out that the, at the time he was reflecting on the 90s bond market boom, in, in which he said that the fluidity of the bond market is in no way uh, to be confused with liquidity or greater liquidity of the uh, system generally. Claudia Bori of the BIS and many others have um, implied or used or tried to elaborate on the concept of artificial liquidity to describe the bubble stage of the financial cycle, the pre-crisis uh, boom uh, and a sense of great resilience and fluidity of financial trades. Um, but none of the um, writers, as far as I'm now, elaborated very in depth on, on the concept of liquidity illusion today. Finally, Avinash Prasod uh, published several uh, papers and book on liquidity black holes, basically to describe a sense where, a state where a sense of this permanent market liquidity suddenly disappears into nowhere, into a black hole, and then it might come out of it or may not come out of it, depending on the circumstances. So, lots of enigmas uh, in terms of understanding the concept and behavior and, and um, lots of challenges for, for students of economics and political economy. But in this paper, I, I'm trying to tease out something from this available literature in relation to the current crises and put it in, um, in a sort of more conceptual framework. And I've teased out, based on my previous work, um, three particular pillars of artificial liquidity or liquidity illusion um, that has been part and parcel of the current, first of all, global um, liquidity glut, and then the credit crunch that followed. Can I just try and check what is the contrast? We decided not to have any questions. This is just a clarification. Artificial liquidity versus what? I liquidity illusion. Artificial liquidity not real. Liquidity illusion also not real. So I, I use them interchangeably. Yeah, but is there a real liquidity? I don't know. We can, we do, we can discuss it. That's for the question. The three pillars of artificial liquidity. Um, the first one is the Ponzi principle of financing, coming originally from Hyman Minsky um, and being used now in mainstream pages of Financial Times. 
the problem is, um, in Minsk's term, Ponzi finance is a very natural evolution of a financial cycle. It starts from hedge, very conservative finance, to speculative, into this Ponzi type, where basically you can finance your old debt only with new borrowings. It's a pyramid scheme. Um, I use the concept in today's crisis uh, with a qualification, and I borrow um, from the work of Jan Kregel, who actually observed that from the very beginning of the current credit boom, Ponzi finance was not a natural evolution of the process. It was an inbuilt structural element, in particular during the subprime market boom in the States. Uh, partly because there were no uh, margins of safety programmed into the expansion. Is it three minutes? Uh, built into the expansion of credit, but partly, uh, and this is where the name of Carlo Ponzi, the speculator, comes in, because Ponzi finance implies an element of deceit and fraud. And in fact, the whole subprime industry in the States was built upon, um, let's say, maybe not criminal fraud, but certainly an element of deception of subprime borrowers who were advised or ill-advised to take on products um, that were uh, deliberately uh, set up according to terms they would not be able to meet um, once the terms come due. And again, I, I can talk more about it uh, more about it during question time. Uh, the second pillar is the um, role of financial innovation. And it's a fascinating paper by Julian, her co-authors, um, about how, how it develops through time and conjunctures. But basically, in this, in, in this framework, a financial innovation is reflected in, in the confidence of faith that it will be ultimately politically validated or rewarded, that whatever it is, um, there will be a quality to that liquidity pillar that everybody was desperately trying to sell to one another. Um, in uh, the current, in the recent boom, uh, institutionally it was manifested through the famous originate and distribute model adopted by banks uh, and other financial institutions, um, but basically there were political and social um, conditions to um, kind of embedding that principle and shifting the risk off to somebody else. Importantly, removing the accountability for your debts, uh, for checking up your debts to somebody else. And finally, the third element is the power structure, the structure of authority that actually validated these new financial innovations and made the Ponzi pyramid appear not as Ponzi pyramid, but as a legitimate liquidity channel or liquidity um, boom. And in this particular episode, it was credit rating agencies, whereas, for example, in the dot-com bubble, it was probably accounting firms that validated lots of bad practices by um, so-called dot-com companies. Um, and the structure of authority, um, again, through um, means of financial innovation, credit agencies played two very crucial roles in, in, the whole in, in the process of sustaining and creating the liquidity illusion. One was regulatory avoidance. Basically, it's the use of special purpose vehicle, usually um, located in um, offshore jurisdictions, so to avoid uh, official tax and uh, scrutiny. Uh, but also through the so-called layering technique of vehicle finance through which they tranched um, parcels of very bad quality debt into AAA and AA um, um, collateralized debt obligations. Um, again, the Ponzi principle was played out here similarly. Uh, but in, in a little bit more sophisticated way because legal language and the principles of Anglo-Saxon law were used in, in order to justify that. 
So um, in the paper, I go in more detail about how both the, the subprime bubble in the States, but also the securitization crisis in North Atlantic credit markets is basically a crisis of this, these three pillars of first liquidity illusion and then liquidity crunch. Uh, what is interesting is that, um, of course, the, two, the first two elements, um, when you talk about them in whatever terms, using liquidity terminology or not, it's usually a story of a bubble. It's about exuberance, overstretched credit, bad debts, and then insolvency or defaults, a hard instincts and moral hazard. But once you put the kind of political validation of it, a market validation to that uh, <coughs> process, um, then the story of is basically reflects to what degree um, the provision or supply of liquidity has been moved into the realm of the private market away from liquidity being a kind of a public commodity or a public good. Um, to what extent the post-crisis regulatory discourse is trying to address um, the, th the three elements of the um, of liquidity illusion. Um, I think now there are many voices have been heard on the last two, on the credit rate, role of credit rating agencies, and um, as, as, as Julie said, the role of financial innovation generally, and particularly for the banking system. However, very little um, criticism or questions are being addressed to the very principle of pyramid finance that has become so easy in, in, in the age of deregulated credit. And I'll finish on that. Thank you. Thank you very much.